Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. There's a place where it says that we might be for the praise of his glory. Um... It, just 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 a phrase i skipped over the word be so i literally just that we might for the praise of his glory and i was looking for the action like what do i have to do to make god happy with me and literally she's like no circle this word you just exist and god loves you you just exist and it's good enough not because of you but because of what jesus did for you You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have Lane Sebring on the show. Uh, He runs the Preaching Donkey channel over on YouTube. So definitely go ahead and check that out in the show notes. But uh, Lane, just go ahead and give me just a little bit of background, like your early, early days in kind of church life. Uh, What did that look like? How'd you get involved? And uh, what are your early memories there? Yeah, well, uh, definitely. And I just want to say really quick, thanks so much for having me on. I really love the work that you're doing. I think it's important. Um, And like I told you early on when we got in touch, uh, I've listened to, I think I've binged about 20 episodes in about four days of the podcast and it was awesome. So love what you're doing. I think it's helping a lot of people and it's an honor to be a part of it. So my background in the IFB really started with my parents' entry into it. Um, They both came from pretty dysfunctional backgrounds. I'll start with my mom. My mom was um, the one of, of seven kids in her family. She was the second youngest of seven. And her, her mom died when she was 16. And then her dad kind of left and just took off with another woman and left her and her younger brother to kind of fend for themselves when she was 17 and her, and her younger brother was 14. And all of her older siblings were already off and married and doing their own thing. So uh, she suffered a lot of just 
abandonment and loneliness issues from that and really just had to survive as a young woman and as a child, just trying to figure out how to live on her own. Um, then you had my dad who had a, a really dysfunctional, abusive home life, never knew his mom. His dad married about five different times. His dad was very abusive uh, physically, just beat the crap out of him and all of his siblings all the time. And um, so he had a lot of uh, issues that were tied to growing up in a, in a family like that, just having to survive, having to get by. It's all that he knew. So uh, fast forward to later in life, when you when my mom meets my dad, um, they both came together and uh, both of them found the IFB movement separately, but then found each other. And they were perfect candidates for IFB. For my dad, it provided the structure that he needed because, you know, once he was old enough to kind of leave the house and go do his own thing, he went into the Navy, was, you know, kind of wild and partied and drank. And so the IFB was kind of like someone to tell him, this is what you're supposed to do and this is what you're not supposed to do. And for my dad, that was really helpful because uh, he, he liked having that black and white. Um, when I'm right with God, it, here's what it looks like. You know, I'm wearing a suit. I'm sitting here. I'm, I've got my King James Bible. When I'm not right with God, when I'm backslidden, I'm back in the bar and I'm having a great time, right? So, so that was kind of how it was for my dad. And he really oscillated between those two extremes quite a bit, um, for, you know, during that time in his life. And then my mom, you know, with the, with the IFB churches that are very much, uh, the, the posture is, you know, hey, come be a part of us and, and we'll take you in like your family, um, provided that you meet our expectations and live up to our standards. So for both of them, they, they get together, get married, and then they have me and my sister. And so uh, we went to a church. I'm from, originally from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And we originally went to a church called Windsor Hills Baptist Church. Okay. And in the 80s and 90s, uh, well, really the 70s, 80s, 70s and 80s, it was a really prominent IFB church in Oklahoma. It was led by a pastor named Jim Bindyard, who was a militant, uh, pretty kind of like obstinate, mean, um, kind of a jerk <laughs> of a guy, to be honest. Uh, he, he, he came from the Jack Hiles side of things. So I think he actually went to Hiles Anderson or was influenced heavily by it, came to Oklahoma and planted a Jack Hiles style uh, church in Oklahoma, bus right. ministry, the whole deal. And um, my parents were heavily involved, including my, my aunt and uncle, because my, my parents all kind of, you know, my mom's brother, they all kind of knew each other. Uh, and so they all went to this church and were heavily involved. And this church was, <laughs> Jim Vineyard's style of, of leadership was fear, intimidation. He was a classic, um, like, if you cross me, you've crossed God. And if you cross God, you better watch out because God's going to get you, right? That, that was his, I, you've I heard. Just I just remembered why I know the name, and uh, but I'll share in just a second. But go oh, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm very curious. Um, but there was a couple of things that happened in that church. I mean, th there, was a, there was someone who left the church and uh, got in a car accident. And I think their, their child died or they died. And Jim Vineyard would use that example from the pulpit to basically kind of gloat in that to say, if you leave, God's going to kill you. He's going to punish you. Um, 
And what ultimately ended up making us leave that church was my parents had us in the Christian school. I was in uh, like pre-K and my sister was in third grade. And it got to be to the point where we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford the tuition. So my parents pulled us out of the school and put us in public school, which I don't know if every IFB church is like this, but that IFB church, that was basically just the the death nail on the coffin. I mean, if you went to public school, you might as well just have your kids worship Satan because it's it's over, right? right? Um, and so the pastor, Jim Vineyard, I don't know, I cannot remember for sure if he directly told my dad this or used it in a sermon, but either way, the, the, the communication was loud and clear that if you take your kids out of our school and put them in public school, God's going to punish you by killing your children. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that wasn't, that was it, you know, for my parents, they decided to leave. Now my, my uncle and his, and his wife, my aunt, uh, they were involved in the church for a little bit longer. Uh, and they were deeply involved. My uncle actually bought a bus, uh, and donated it to the church. He worked for 14 years as a bus captain, um, wore himself out. I mean, yeah. just was, you know, had a, had a, had a full-time job, uh, did a, did a paper route early in the morning, uh, to help provide for, for his you know family and worked probably what, it, what came out to 20 or 30 hours a week on the bus ministry. And when he showed signs of fatigue and wanted to kind of back away, uh, they shamed him. They maligned him. They said, you know, you're, you're not up to snuff. And uh, he and my, my aunt and their, their family pulled out and really have suffered to this day. Um, the, just the, the abuses of, of that church and that ministry. Hmm. So, so we leave, this is when I'm probably five years old. We, we leave the church and we go to a, a, a few different churches. We go to another small church in Oklahoma City uh, that was an IFB church. It was kind of mild. And then we ended up moving to a suburb of Oklahoma City, about 20 miles away. And we went to a series of churches there. When I was six years old, we moved there. And we ended up going to a Southern Baptist church, which was, uh, if you're an IFBer, this was like, you know, anathema. But uh the, the church we went to, the pastor was kind of old school, still used the King James Bible at this point. And so my dad was good with it. You know, he was, he, he related to this guy, the guy was a farmer, he used KJV. So my dad thought, okay, this is safe. We're going to go here. Went there for four years. That's actually where I became a Christian. It's where I was baptized. And uh, after about four years there, th- that pastor retired, a new pastor came, he used the NIV. My dad just couldn't, couldn't square that. So at this point, we, we go, this is when we go back into the IFB world after about a four-year stint in, the Southern, in Southern Baptist territory, in enemy liberal territory. Um, and uh, I, I didn't really have much of an IFB memory at this point, other than just a couple of things that happened. The, the one thing that happened at Windsor Hills, and I forgot to mention this, um, when, I was, when I was five on New Year's Day, 1990, my mom and my sister and I went to Walmart on New Year's Day, but uh, my mom wanted to wear pants because it was very cold outside because we broke, this is another thing, we broke the rules as an IFB family. We went to these churches, um, but we didn't follow the rules at home. And so we, we were always 
kind of in this tension between the rules we adhered to and the rules we broke. But my mom wanted to wear pants and there had been a woman who had been caught um, in public with her pants on and uh, was kicked out of the choir at, at Windsor Hills. And so my mom didn't want that to happen. So we went to the Walmart in the next town. And while we were there, <laughs> we were in the checkout line. This guy drives through the Walmart doors, gets out a gun <laughs> and everybody says duck and we all duck and everybody says run and we all run to the back of the store. This was in Edmond, Oklahoma at Walmart. It's one of the reasons why Walmart put up the little little yeah. things that go in there. Anyway, the, the point is I, like my only memories were just kind of the ridiculousness of some of those rules. Yeah. And then we got out of it and we went to this, this Southern Baptist church. Yeah. No, um, I actually had a, I had a guest um, who was from Windsor Hills um, on one of my previous episodes. Um, her, she was on staff there. Her name's Karen Croft. Um, and, and yeah, I was fascinated by them because they're, they're hyper-political, obviously, which m many IFE churches are, especially in that, that region of the country, but they actually, um, they actually are part of um, the Southern Poverty Law Center actually has them listed as one of their like 20, yeah, one of 20 hate groups operating in Oklahoma right now. So they're on a nationally recognized um, list. And uh, yeah, they, um, yeah, he had made a lot of really pretty wild claims before the city council uh, saying that homosexuals accounted for half the murder in large cities, like just some really far out kind of stuff. Um, and then also on their website, um, this one article reported they had an information video about gun owners in America, Obama, and a YouTube post titled The Threat of Islam, which was pretty, uh, yeah, they had a pretty interesting uh, list of stuff. Um, but the other part of it too, um, the reason I, rec I recognized them wasn't even from the episode. Um, it was from when the spirit of fear uh, article series from the star telegram was released. Uh, that's one of the first stories that's, that's listed um, is that story about him having in his desk, a photograph of, um, of a dead person who had died after um, they had threatened to basically vote him out of, of the church. Um, and so, the, yeah, the two versions were the picture was of a man who voted against Vineyard coming to the church to pastor. The man got in a car crash and broke his neck. The other version was that the photo was a son of a Windsor Hills family who told Vineyard they were going to leave the church. He warned them if they did, God would punish them. They left and the son died in a car crash. And uh, yeah, just uh, just pretty wild stories. So, yeah. Yeah, I, the the second version is the one that I, I hear right. the most, but who knows which one is true. I mean, either it's sick either way. Either's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, they actually closed down Windsor Hills did and reopened under a new name, higher plane Baptist church. Yeah. Cause Jim Vineyard's son, Tom Vineyard, uh, leads that church now. So, yeah. Well, and, um, one of what I think it was, maybe it was Tom, but I think the reason they had shut down was there was a, um, there was a legally justified shooting with Vineyard's son and someone had yep. broken and was hiding in this closet and apparently jumped out and attacked him. And, and so he was ruled that it was clear, but I think that, that no matter what, even if it's legally justified or whatever, that's going to put a, a couple bumps in the road as far as, you know, trying to pastor a church and then deal with working through that legal process. So, um, but anyway, that's enough about the vineyards for now, I guess we're, yeah. uh, we're only at age six. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So many stories. Um, so, so we, so we, we go to Chisholm Heights, uh, 
And that, again, that was a Southern Baptist church and uh, just your standard issue quarterlies, GAs, RAs. If anybody Southern Baptist grew up that way, you, you know, promise keepers, the whole thing. So that's what we did until my dad just couldn't handle it anymore and said, we got to go back to, to what I'm comfortable with. So we go back to uh, a church called Westchester Baptist Church in Mustang. And this was like IFB Light. The pastor there was a guy named Bob Farney, sweet man, um, and really kind of found himself in the IFB world, but was very moderate. We didn't have the dress standards. But because it was a Southern Baptist church, I mean, because it was an uh, independent Baptist church and it was King James only, it attracted a lot of people who adhered to those standards. You know, they would come from other towns and we were really the only show in town at that point. And so, um, so I started talking to these people who were, you know, wanting to convince me of why the King James Bible is the only Bible. And keep in mind, I'm 10 or 11 at this point. And, uh, and, and they're wanting me to know, hey, this is a serious issue. That, that's when I, I got exposed to the, the, those, those books, the New Age Bible versions, you know, where it'd be like, it would show like the new, new KJV and how uh, the, the, the symbol was some kind of satanic symbol and, you know, all this kind of, and, and when you're 11 years old, it's 10 like, years oh old, <laughs> if you don't know any different and somebody says, look up this verse in your NIV and I try to find it and it's not there. Oh my gosh, that must mean there's some kind of nefarious agenda going on where these verses have just been removed because of this, yeah. this conspiracy to, to undermine the gospel by undermining the word of God. And, and I just got to say this because it's always blows my mind when, when with Christian conspiracy theories, it, conspiracy theories in general. If someone is trying to create a deceitful series of documents or this master crazy plan, why would they stamp a logo on it? It drives me crazy when I see people say like, look at this, it's actually this demonic symbol. Like they wouldn't put that right there on the box to try to, anyway, so that's always no. my, uh, the same yeah. with the Illuminati stuff. I'm like, why would they put clues all over the place? If you, if a 10 year old YouTuber can find it and make a video about it, it's not very <laughs> secret, is it? Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So, but, but I was, I was, uh, you know, very sincere in my like love for the Lord and my love for the Bible and was offended. You know, I, I was personally offended that these mm -hmm. people were, were trying to undermine the word of God. And so I became a little 10, 11 year old radical fundamentalist at this point, because by golly, uh, we, we have the right Bible and they don't. Okay. So, uh, eventually my dad got to the point where this church wasn't, it just didn't have the staunchness that, that he wanted because it was, again, it was IFB light. So then we went to what, what ended up having the most influence on me in the IFB churches that we went to. And this was a church called Moore Baptist Temple, um, in Moore, Oklahoma. And it's, it's funny cause it's not like they were saying they're, they're more Baptist, but it's M O O R E Moore Baptist Temple. Um, even though they were definitely more Baptist than the other place that we went to. I remember we, we drove up and um, on the sign, it said independent fundamental King James only 1611. And my dad pointed to that sign as we were driving up and he said, right there, that's what we're looking for. That's what we need. Independent fun. I don't even know what those, those words meant. I just knew that that's what dad wants. So, and, and they use the right Bible. So here we are. So the very first day, we go to this church and they're going to camp that 
day, like that night they're, they're leaving for church camp. So, um, we went, we actually knew a lot of people there because a lot of ex Windsor Hills people were there. So, you know, there were some people that we knew. And so my sister and I like got on the bus that night and went to camp. It was triple S Christian ranch. I don't know if you've ever heard of this triple S Christian ranch in Arkansas. Um, big IFB camp in the area. And there's a couple of things that, that stand out to me to this day uh, from that camp. One is they sat the girls and the guys on separate sides of the, of the tabernacle during the, the worship time. So the girls have to sit over here. The guys have to sit over here. Okay. Not, not a big deal. But then the, we would sing these songs that were always at the expense of the girls. So they would take like a verse and from the Bible that was maybe like one of Solomon's laments about a woman on, a, on the rooftop or dripping water or something. And we would literally sing about that. Um, and, and almost like in a way to disparage uh, all the, the girls in the camp. And everybody just loved it. And everybody thought it was hilarious. I just, I, looking back on that, I just think that's, it's just so, it's just so, insane to me that that's how we entertained ourselves at camp. And that was, that was sanctioned. It was just part of the experience. The other thing that I remember is the pool, which I actually looked this up the other day to see if anything has changed. And fortunately it looks like it has, but the pool back, back then was filled with sand, I guess. So the water wouldn't be transparent. And then, uh, you know, we swam separately, of course, because if you swim boys and girls together, it's called mixed bathing. God doesn't like that. And so, and so we would, we would swim separately. The girls actually swam in full culottes, denim skirts, the whole thing, even though they were completely separate, the guys swam in full length jeans and t-shirts, even though, again, we were separate in water that's filled with sand. So you can't see anything. I don't know how many people drowned every year there. Um, but th that was our first kind of experience in in true fundamentalism, right? So we go to this church, we go to camp that night, and I am I am hooked, right? Because even though every absurdity I just ex just explained to you was there, I was like, this is it. I found my people. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be a fundamentalist because you know I just loved the feeling of we're right, everyone else is wrong, and and we're going to do this. So we come back and. In that church, the, the pastor's name was Richard McIntosh, and um, his preaching was your your typical like um, the, the typical of IFB. A lot of proof texting, where he would take he would you know read a verse um, and then spend forty minutes yelling about anything he wanted to, <laughs> you right. know. Um, and then every now and then go back and, and mention the verse. I remember I had bought uh, a DC Talk album. It was called Welcome to the Freak Show. This was in 1997. I was so proud of my, this is the first CD I ever bought. Bought it at Blockbuster, which was a, a video store that also sold music back in the day. And uh, he did this whole sermon that was based on Hebrews 13, I think Hebrews 13, 7. Um, and so he would literally just read the verse, uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ doesn't change, our music shouldn't change. So if, if your music is new, Jesus doesn't like it. Jesus doesn't. So I remember uh, sitting there as a 12-year-old kid feeling conviction over the fact that I was listening to music that had changed 
and yet Jesus hadn't changed. And so, gosh, I was in the wrong. What was I doing? Um, God must be really upset. And uh, so at a time when everybody was burning their Metallica CDs, I went home and came pretty close to breaking my DC Talk CD. I didn't. Um, but what's funny is I remember listening to it with a friend of mine, and I was convinced that they were cussing in one of the songs. Right. And I remember telling my friend, like, hey, listen, they're saying cuss words. And he's like, why would they say cuss words? It's a Christian band. I'm like, well, they're trying to destroy the gospel. And he's like, what are you talking about? No, they're not. Why would they do that? Right. Uh, and it's to your point. Like, why would they make it obvious even if they were? Right. So anyway, do you have a question? No, I, I was just looking. I was every time people name someone, I start googling to see if I know any connections to anything. But uh, no, with the uh, with the camp, I just recognized everyone who was speaking. I was looking at a 2012 camp. So I, Tim Rule, Gabe Rule, Luke Bishop, like they got some pretty hardcore IFB vibes <laughs> still to this day. But uh, over at Triple S, yeah, yeah, over at Triple S, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was in there, I think it was like '96. So who knows? Who knows who would have been? Do you there remember then. anybody from then? I know. I don't remember young. any names. I, you know, I remember being very wowed by the by the whole yeah. thing, um, and you know, had a great time. Because I mean, at that point, it was just fun to go somewhere with a bunch of friends and yeah, and you know, and be be together and do something cool. Yeah, that's one of the things I always say is like that's one thing I can't complain about is I grew up you know, it's pretty weird. I spent seven days a week, you know, centered around one physical location, but it is cool that I had friendships that were like a lot deeper, you know, like we went to camps. It, it felt like having a ton of brothers and sisters, you know, you get to go to camp together, you go to activities together. You're, you know, it was, there was a lot of really cool stuff on that level. Now I wish the environment overall had been a little bit different, but um, can't complain about the the relationship side and the the cool factor of getting to go on all these trips and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. For sure. I, I don't have the, I was never a part of the school. Uh, my sister and I always went, we went to public school from, from the very start. I mean, yeah. once we got out of the Christian school, um, but every church we went to had a school. Um, we just weren't, weren't a part of it, but, but, and, and more Baptist temple had a school. And the, the year we were there, there was one person in the graduating class. <laughs> just yeah, sad. I had two, I had two in mine. So one more than that. So we went to Moore Baptist Temple for about, I think, probably a year and a half. And that's where uh, there were some good things that came out of it, I will say. Um, I learned a, where a lot of the Bible is. I mean, because sitting in church, flipping through the Bible constantly, go to this verse, go to that verse, go to this verse, go to that verse. Um, I really attribute that time in my life to when I learned like where all the New Testament uh epistles were and what order. I mean, there were some good things that came out of it. Um, but what it, what it did to me was produce a lot of typical stuff that comes with IFB, uh, a lot of, uh, feeling like, okay, when I came to Christ, um, and became a Christian, I was given a D that was my grade it's passing, but it's nothing to write home about. Right. And my job is to work my way up to an A and by the way, that A is always changing. I mean, it's the, the goalposts are always moving for how to get an A grade. Right. And by the way, God's, God is not cheering you on. He is not for you. <laughs> he, is, he is upset with you. He's not upset with the pastor. He's upset with you. And so uh, those are kind of things that, that I, th those are things that I learned when I went there. Those are 
my position towards my relationship with God went from one of a lot of joy when I was, when I was younger, especially when we were at that kind of standard issue Baptist church, where it was just, it was fun to follow Jesus. I, I really loved uh, the Lord. I really loved being a Christian. I loved going to church. And it went from that to, am I good enough? Is God pleased with me? Is he happy with me? Am I doing the right things? Am I thinking the right things? Am I thinking that I'm thinking the right things? Am I too pride, prideful? Am I not humble enough? Um, and so it just became this constant, like, am I okay? Am I living up to the, to the standard that this pastor has arbitrarily set for me and, and set for all these people? Um, and so, so that was like a, that was a constant. And the other thing is most of the preaching, if it wasn't directed at all of, all of us in the crowd, it was against other churches, right? So my world became so insular because everything, you know, the non-denominational people are wrong. The Southern Baptists are wrong. The Charismatics are wrong. The Presbyterians are wrong. Everybody's wrong. And the only thing left is this little tiny church that we went to. And even other IFB churches were compromising, right? They're compromisers for, for one reason or the other. And I remember the pastor's son who was in his 20s, met a girl, got engaged, brought that girl to church. That girl that he got engaged to, her dad was a pastor at a Southern Baptist church. So the very first time she comes to church um, with, with the pastor's son, Instead of uh, like welcoming her into the church, instead of saying, hey, you know what, this is my son and his, and his fiance, isn't this cool? He spent an hour dogging Southern Baptist. They're liberals, they're compromisers, they're the worst people, uh, on and on and on. And I, at the time, I was like, yes. And I remember driving home, my dad was like, that was bad form. I mean, that was just his, his, his son's fiance had to sit there and listen to how bad her dad is. And, and it just hit me. I, that, that was when I, I really, it really hit me that maybe being right isn't the only thing that matters here. Um, maybe, maybe there's some tact that we need to have. But to this point in that church, there was very little tact, if any, and it was all just about being right. Well, eventually we left that church. It was a little bit of a drive. It's like 35 minutes to get there. Um, and so there were some, you know, we had some disagreements. I mean, one of the things that, uh, that happens in the IFB world, and this is one of the reasons why I left is it, it's, there's a tendency to find fault. Um, and you're really taught that you're really conditioned to find fault, uh, because everybody is either backsliding or compromising or doesn't have the exact set of standards that your church has. So they're not good enough. And so there, there was a lot of people going from one church to the other, trying to find the perfect church when they've been taught to be critical and find fault from the very start. So that's what we did. We leave for a, a, a few reasons. We go back to Mustang. We go back to Mustang Heights, okay, back to Bob Farney's church. And this is where we kind of settled when I was like 13, 14. Um, and again, I, IFB light. Um, and even lighter at this point, eventually that church went into the Southern Baptist Convention. And here's something that I find to be pretty funny. I remember th this was, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. This was probably when I was about 16 or 17. They went into the Southern Baptist Convention and they put this sign in the, on the street, on the main street in Mustang. Uh, and they had it there for about a year. And the sign said, 
praise the Lord, we are now part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I remember thinking, okay, if anybody from a non-church background or even like a nominal church background reads that, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, right. praise the Lord. I don't know. It was just funny. I just always thought that was a, a silly sign. But, but anyway, the, the point is we, we, go to, we go to Mustang Heights and um, by this point, you know, I'm very confused because here we are back in an IFB light church that doesn't have all the standards. It's still King James only. Um, there's still those same people there. They're wanting to convince me that King James is the only Bible. I remember in middle school, I used to get into fights with uh, a friend of mine who was assemblies of God. We, we, we connected over our love for DC talk, but would fight over Bible translations and one saved, always saved. <laughs> and and I, I remember telling him that um, if, if he was going to read a verse and he read it out of the NIV, that wasn't a Bible. It was a crap. It was a crap Bible. I mean, I was like Stephen Anderson before Stephen Anderson was a thing. I never burned it, but I, but it was, I, I had that same zealousness of, because in my view, that Bible was a product of people who were trying to undermine the gospel. So there, there's no level of hatred that would have not been justified for it. Well, um, we, we tried to do some things to, to like grow that youth group. It's a very small church, very old church. And I started changing just over the, over a, a couple year period of time. I started, um, you know, as we kind of got away from the teaching at more Baptist temple and we're in a more moderate church and I'm trying to grow this student ministry. This was probably not a good idea, but the, the pastor kind of put me and this other kid in charge of the youth group. And I was 14 <laughs> at the time. And so we would run a Wednesday night program, had no idea what we we're doing, had no business uh, doing this, but we, we did it. And I remember one night we had 14 kids there, which was a, a, like a huge deal. It was really fun. But this was kind of the beginning seeds of what I believe was God calling me into, into ministry. Um, when I got into high school, my freshman year of high school, I started to uh, want, I started to be drawn to this other church in town. And um, by the end of that year, the, the, by the end of my freshman year in high school, I had convinced my parents to allow me to leave our little IFB light church and go to uh, First Baptist Church of Mustang, which was, again, just a standard issue Southern Baptist Church that had huge youth group, 250 kids in the youth group, which was disproportionately large. The church itself was about 700, but the student ministry was about 250. So there was a ton of just energy in the student ministry. And so I went and this was May 3rd of 2000. That was the first, the, my first foray into this world. And by this point, I was at this major kind of tipping point between I've always been taught at least, at least for the last five, six years that the Southern Baptists are the worst of all kinds of people. Uh, they're compromisers. Their, their music is sensual and fleshly and carnal. Um, they don't read the right Bible. They don't believe the right gospel. And, and really all of them are just conspiring to take down the gospel. Like they hate Jesus and they hate the gospel. So, uh, but I still wanted to go be part of the youth group. So that's where, that's where I was because I, I really wanted to believe that, that I, maybe I was wrong. Right. So I go and, um, I just dove in and I, and I, and I loved it. And I remember 
for the first six months that I was there, I was suspicious at every turn. Okay. At every turn, I thought at some point I'm going to learn that all that I've been taught about these people is true. Right. At some point, I'm going to realize that they hate Jesus and hate the Bible. And what I found is that, wow, these people must not have gotten the memo from the IFB group that they're supposed to hate Jesus and hate the Bible because none of them knew that they were supposed to. It, it seemed like they, they loved Jesus, they loved the Bible, they preached the gospel. Um, it, it was a life-giving and life-changing experience being at that church. The pastor there was a guy named Rick Fry. And I remember the very first sermon, the first time I went was on a Wednesday night. Then I went the very next Sunday to church. And his sermon was about how to reach the 21st century, uh, like how to be a, a 21st century church and reach people in the 21st century. And that was just mind blowing to me because all I'd ever been taught was the old ways better. Um, don't compromise. Don't go into the future. Don't try to reach people. If you do, you're just compromising and so uh, the old way, the old way, the old way, and he's preaching vision. This is the first time I'd ever really heard vision and heard uh, just here's what it is to think forwardly. So, um, so, so I went there the when I was 15 or 16. Um, th that's when I first started feeling like I was called into the ministry. It took me two years to uh, to say yes to that. I was very reluctant uh, because. By this point, I, I was done with the IFB. I was fully just in with, with this church, but I didn't want to do it full time. I didn't want the limitations. I didn't want the income restrictions or just the income cap. You know, um, a lot of the pastors that I'd seen either were a big mean bully, um, which I didn't want to be, or they had the gift of mercy, which meant that they were just walked all over and treated like garbage. Right. And I didn't want that either. And so it took me really a couple of years uh, to surrender to the ministry, which I don't even, I don't even like that term anymore uh, because there's nowhere in scripture where we're called to surrender to ministry. Uh, we're supposed to surrender to Jesus and go where he leads us, but that's just, it's a semantic thing. Not, not a, not a big deal. But um, so I, I, I go into ministry there. I graduate high school, end up going, uh, staying at that church and interning in the student ministry for a couple of years. And then I was an interim. Then I went to another church, large Southern Baptist church in Edmond. I was an intern there for a year. Um, then I moved to Washington DC and I was, uh, a, a pastor at a church for 10 years in the DC area, um, in a variety of different positions from student pastor to associate pastor. And then the last three years I've been in, um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was the executive pastor at a at a church here, non-denominational multi-site church here. So I I went from as staunchly IFB as you can get to what what most IFB people would consider to be an absolute apostate lost cause. <laughs> you know, working in a non-denom. One one thing I left out that I want to mention is when I was 16, I went to a camp called Super Summer in Oklahoma. It was in 2001. And this was with First Baptist Mustang. The speaker okay. at that camp was a guy named Craig Rochelle, who is the pastor at Life Church. Yeah. And uh, Life Church is based in Oklahoma. And um, now I think at this point they have 36 campuses and 11 That's states. Huge. Yeah. Um, about 100,000 people. I, when I went there, they had two campuses, about 5,000 people. We started going on Saturday nights just because we were pretty enamored of, of his, his preaching. 
And um, that kind of shot my exposure to what church could be just through hmm. the roof. Because I went there for about five years from 2001 to 2006. And in that time, they grew from, you know, two campuses and 5,000 people to, by the end of that, about 15, uh, 10 campuses and 15,000 people. Um, and I just saw like, oh, th this is what it's like when a church still holds true to the gospel, still preaches the word. And yet, man, they're, they're reaching everyday people and they're not, um, uh, people aren't feeling judged and, and uh, not good enough and things like that. So between those two church experiences and then going on uh, to pastor um, myself, you know, my removal from the IFB is 20, I'm 20 years removed at this point. Um, but what I found is that over the last 20 years, I've still had to unlearn a lot hmm. of what I was taught. And it's funny because when I go back and I look at the sermons that I preached early on in my ministry, and I think about when I was a student pastor and the things that I would teach, there was, without me even really realizing it, because at the time I would have said, no, this is not legalistic. I'm not being legalistic. But if I looked back on it, there was so much legalism that I wasn't even aware of in right. my teaching um, that I regret that. And, and, and I, I wish I could go back and correct it, but I can't. Um, but at the same time where I'd be very frustrated with some of the legalism that I grew up with, I would hang on to it because I still at times felt like it was the better way. Uh, right. I almost felt safe in that legalism. Yeah. Um, that if I got too far out of it, then I would, you know, somehow be an error. Right. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's tricky transitioning. And, and I was just talking with someone about this the other day, like it's, it's hard enough transitioning, um, from, from, you know, moving into like just questioning your faith or, or questioning different tenets of your theology. It's even harder when you've got leadership behind you, or if you come from a more, um, you know, more restricted background. Um, but especially I have to imagine as a, as a pastor, I, I think, I think there's one of two things. I think one, you, you have some guys who love the power that the IFB gives them. Uh, there's a lot of power in that type of preaching. But on the other side of that too, I think there's a lot of guilt for a lot of people of if I've been wrong for a year, two years, three years, 20 years, 30 years, um, how do you start shifting gears a little bit? And you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you surpass that mentality of like, well, and all the time I was doing student ministry, I was teaching this and this was way off base or all the time I was, you know, doing this. Does that mean that whole thing was a waste? And obviously it's not like God can use broken sticks to draw straight lines. You know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a common theme, but um, yeah, I, I'm curious now you, you do a lot of training with pastors. You do a lot of um, a lot of work and, and teaching there. Um, have you had to guide any pastors through that same journey? Have you been able to use your experience to kind of assist people who've done that transition? Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. There's lots of pastors that I've worked with who are either coming out of something like IFB or they're coming out of, uh, trying to, trying to help preacher. This is one of the, the biggest things I, I, I like to do. Most of my work at preaching donkey focuses on communication. Um, so I have a communications background. That was my major in college. Then I went to seminary and learned how to bore everyone with the Bible. <laughs> and so uh, preaching donkey is really kind of a marriage of can we have like proper exegesis and good biblical sound teaching and, and yet also 
communicate clearly with human beings that are sitting in front of us? Can we put those two things together? And that's where Preaching Donkey was born. One of the things that I help preachers with is to remove as much as is possible their preferences and, and their um, like preconceived notions that are extra biblical from sounding like dogma, right? right. Um, because I grew up with, I mean, I, I remember when, I, when we were at Moore Baptist Temple, the really fundy church, I remember that the pastor did a whole sermon on the word man. I don't know if it was a whole sermon, but it was at least 30 minutes on the word man. He hated people saying man. I don't like it when people say man. Well, when you're 12 years old, for whatever reason, I said man a lot. I guess it was a thing people did back then. Hey man, what's up, man? This, yeah, yeah, man, cool, man. I remember feeling so badly about saying man. And, and I equated his opinion on the word man, which sounds ridiculous right now saying this, but I'm just telling you as a 12 year old kid, I sat there going, oh my gosh, I say man all the time. God must be really upset with me. I need to repent. I'm sorry, God, for saying man, please forgive me for saying man. You know, I mean, this is the kind of nonsense that, that, that you can inflict on people as a preacher if you're not careful. So it's a huge passion of mine to help preachers understand that you may have a strong opinion about something and that's fine, but you have to make sure that you're teaching uh, what the scriptures actually say. And if you're going to give your opinion, make that clear, but don't burden people with your opinion as if it was doctrine. I mean, one of the, one of the things, uh, one of the verses that I pulled up here that I think, I think just, just encapsulate, encapsulates the, the kind of legalism that's so prevalent in those churches is in Mark seven, where, uh, Jesus says, this people honors, honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So then he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. There'd so, be any better defining verse of the movement. No, <laughs> as it I mean, that's, yeah, right. that, that, is, <laughs> that is their mantra, right? right. Take, take an opinion of man, um, elevate it to the position of doctrine, like I'll give you an example. So the, the King James issue, right? The most arbitrarily decided upon doctrine that there is, right? Uh, it's like this, this logical flow. God said he's going to preserve his word. Therefore, God's preserved word is this one. <laughs> like, right. and, and why? Because we've decided. Um, and I know they would say there's more to it than that, but that's about it, right? Um, maybe God preserved his word by by having literally more manuscript um more ma more manuscript like uh, evidence than any other historic document in the world. Maybe that's how he did it. Maybe it's not a 1600s era Anglican pleasing the king. I, I don't know. The point is, but you take you take King James. I, I have friends in the IFB who have literally told me they their church would not fellowship wouldn't fellowship with my church because we're not King James only. Like that is the issue that they hold up and say, mm -hmm. we won't fellowship with you because you don't read the, the right English translation that we, we think is the right one. Um, so again, it, you don't find that anywhere in scripture. There's nothing in scripture about English translations and how we need to divide over them. Um, but that's, that's, what, that's what it's led to. And that, that's what happens. Right. So, yeah. Right, right. So... Um... I, I guess now, um, kind of, kind of moving onward, like you're, again, like I said, you're doing preaching donkey, you're helping people with communication with, with, uh, you know, just how to become a better presenter of the topics at hand. 
Um, if you could go back right now and you could go back to you as a, as a young kid in the movement and tell yourself just one thing uh, that you think would have helped you kind of kind of skip some of the, the frustrations and, and troubles that you felt early on, uh, what, what advice would you give yourself back way back when? Yeah. Oh, you know, man. Like just one I, thing. <laughs> I have a lot of things yeah. to tell myself. Yeah. You know, um, I had some childhood trauma um, that wasn't dealt with very well um, by my parents. They, they did the best they could um, given just IFBism and how there's certain things you don't really deal with. You don't talk about. I mean, I, I've, I've listened to enough of the episodes on your show where it seems to be a common thread where most people just don't talk about even just bodily issues as a, as, as an IFB world. Um, and, uh, I, I had just a lot of shame inflicted on me, um, as a, as a young child when I was about six Mm. and, uh, no counseling, no way to work through it. And, and my parents just kind of just put it under the rug. Let's just not talk about it, never bring it up. And, um, I think when you, when you take that and you add the IFB thing to it, um, where it's like, you're never good enough. God's always mad at you. And you already feel like, yeah, you're right. This is what I've been told. Um, I had this kind of just intrinsic desire to prove myself. I wanted to make my parents, make my pastor, make everybody around me know that, Hey, I'm, I am up to snuff, right? Um, and so if I could go back and, and actually I'm going to answer your question, but it's going to take me a second. Um, when I was 24, so I'm 35 now, when I was 24, I did some extensive counseling to finally deal with that for 18 years. I loathed myself. I mean, I hated myself so much shame over, over something that if someone had just explained it to me, if someone had just worked with me through it, um, it would have not been a, a big deal at all, a uh, perfectly normal situation. But I was made to feel like it was just the worst thing ever. So I'm sitting at 24 in Chicago at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I had a, a friend there going through a counseling program. I flew out there to the 20 hour intensive with him and a professional counselor and just cried my eyes out because for the first time I was actually talking about this trauma and having someone actually help me work through it. And uh, the counselor had me read a verse where, um, and it was in, in uh, Ephesians 1. And it's interesting because I was reading it in my Bible, and I'm actually going to pull it up. Um, I was reading it in my Bible, which was, which was an NIV. So I'm going to pull up that because I want to get the exact translation I was reading. She had me read it out loud, and I skipped over a word that um, she was like, no, you, you need to read that word again. Um, and here is, here is, and if you have to edit this out, uh, I, I'm sorry. Okay. It's in the NIV, so it might not be there. They could have removed <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably been removed because those nefarious, you know. Their okay, work is I'll, never I'll, done. I'll, we yeah, I'll quote it. I'll quote it from, I'll quote it from memory. Um, it might've been Ephesians too, but anyway, um, there, there's a place where it says that we might be for the praise of his glory. Um, it just, just, just a phrase. I skipped over the word be, 
So I literally just, that we might for the praise of his glory. And I was looking for the action. Like, what do I have to do to make God happy with me? And literally she's like, no, circle this word. You just exist and God loves you. You just exist and it's good enough. Not because of you, but because of what Jesus Mm. did for you. And really for the first time, I went back to my student ministry after that. And I actually, for the first time, had a love for those students that actually was based in, I want them to know that God loves them, period, full stop, end of story, that this isn't just, they've got to behave in some way, and I'm going to give them a list of moral things to do so that, you know, I can check all the boxes and say, we covered everything you're supposed to cover in youth group. No, they need to know the gospel, which is that God became a man, became sin for them so that in him, they might become the righteousness of God in him. Um, that's the gospel. And I, and I, I had, I knew that I think I, you know, I had accepted Mm. that, but man, in that moment, um, I believed it. So when you say, what would I go back and tell myself as a kid? I would say, you're okay. You're okay, man. Relax. God loves you. I know that Mm. sounds so simple, but that's what I would say. Right. Right. What is simple? I mean, that's the gospel, right? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of as simple as it gets. So, um, no, that's awesome. Well, look, I know we're I know we're kind of at our time here, but I'm just curious for those who are listening. I've got a I've got a pretty broad range of people, but I, I think I have quite a few pastors that listen who would probably benefit from some of the content you put out. Uh, can you just chat a little bit about your your channel, um, some of the the resources you're putting together, and just the best place for uh, anyone who's listening to find you, kind of get more information about who you are and what it is you're working on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So preachingdonkey.com has has everything there. You can also just put in preaching donkey over at YouTube. If you're a pastor, I would love to love for you to check out the content. I've got a couple books, preaching killer sermons and become a preaching ninja over on Amazon. But the main thing I like to do is I like to help preachers uh, with sermon prep, sermon delivery and church leadership. So, um, if you're, if you're totally new to it, the best thing would be preaching donkey.com slash 21 days to one days. Uh, it's just a free gift that you can download. Um, for, for free for me. Other than that, I'm on all the socials. Just look for my name, Lane Sebring. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Guys definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting a little bit. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at preacher boys doc. Additional information can always be found on preacherboysdoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.